everyone, welcome to the Conservation Made Simple podcast. My name is Cameron. And I'm Logan. And today we are talking single use items. Maybe you thought I was gonna say plastics. Items. Gotcha. Uh, this is kind of spurred on from, I was walking the dog the other day. I was walking down the road, realizing that as I was walking, there was more masks, more like single use, uh, those blue masks. Disposable masks. Disposable yeah. masks. On the side of the road in my 45 minute walk than there was any other type of trash wow and i was and so so i was like logan we need to push whatever it is we were going to do for platypus and let's talk about single-use items primarily it was about the pandemic yep right and how the pandemic had affected stuff and then masks and then i'm like ah maybe we'll go a little broader so we went broader so then we landed on single-use items and Today, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of what they are. We even go into a little bit of the history mm -hmm. of how we've gone from reusable items to these now one-time use items. Uh, you will be talking uh, about the pandemic and implications that we'd started at. Yep. Uh, we'll also be talking about what big companies, big countries are starting to shift from, do, so on and so forth. And then ultimately, we're going to end it with what can you do? Yeah. And where can we Yeah, and what play you can do as an individual yeah. and kind of a collective individual in society will get there. Yes. Yes. Don't want to give too much of a way. Yeah. Because that's we'll contradict ourselves here in in, in about fifteen <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> um, but first I think we should start with what is single use items. Now I think it's pretty explanatory in what its word is. It's an item that you use one time. But I think where we're getting a disconnect is people not understanding how many of those we come in contact with. It's super prevalent. Yeah, and I, I mean, I know that we take out the trash every week. It's a full trash can, and that, honestly, I don't think we look at as often, right? A full trash can for a, for a household here. No. We barely fit the amount of recycling that my house goes through in the bin every week. If the, like, recycling truck doesn't come, we're in trouble, so... <laughs> Yeah, and when I worked for uh, I worked for a a, a packaging place, mm. not gonna say the name, but when I used to work for a place, they we had so much trash that we used those big green dumpsters. Yep, and we every week had leftover that I would then have to store in one of our containers and wait until the trash guy would pick it up. Yeah. And then I would sometimes even beg him. I'm like, yo, I will give you some of our products if you will come back in like ten minutes and let me refill this. And many weeks I would fill it up twice. Wow. And so it's that idea that goes, we just, as a, as a human race, create so much trash in the sense of uh, the U.S. Yep. We are probably one of the worst offenders of it based off of just how many people and how much trash. So we have about 4 or 5% of the world's population, yet we create almost 30%. Almost 30% of... The trash and time. total waste for the planet. Yeah, 30%, 30%. for 4 to 5% of us. And I know that there's, you know, statistics talking about how many resources we use. You know, about 25% of the world's resources go to yep. Americans. So we are not able to tout that we're all of this great uh, society, I yeah. guess you can say. Very consumerist culture, for yeah. sure. But I'm going to go even a step farther. There's another statistic. Industry hmm. creates 97% of our trash. Now, this is something that originally came out in uh, 1980 that was saying that there was 97% industry, 3%, you know, kind of household trash. And there's been studies since then that keep coming to that conclusion. It's not possible to fully understand because many industries 
create waste, but you can't really monitor how much it is. So yep. say like uh, oil drilling uh, creates a lot of water waste or things like that that can be accounted for this, but doesn't technically count as single use items, so on and so forth. So the 97% for the industry is kind of just waste in general. When we're talking single use waste, it's almost 65% industry. Wow. Which is still, which is still big. Yeah. Uh, but that means that us here at home are creating 35% still. So that, that, there, there's some margin there that we can be working towards. Absolutely. And these things range from, we've said it already, masks, to I'm going to open this uh, you know, little granola bar. Yep. And I'm going to throw out that wrapper all the way up to things like our packaging. You know, get a new Barbie doll and it's got uh, the packaging around it. Yep. So the things that basically we, we use it in one minute and then it's gone. And it lasts for... And it lasts for a long time. Now, a lot of these things we go, oh, it's going to last a while out there, but... Yeah, like, you know, how long really? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple examples that I have, uh, junk mail, just kind of the stuff that you get in the mail that we just instantly throw out. Yeah. It can take upwards of six weeks. Wow. To decompose and be, be gone. Yeah. Which I think is crazy for the amount that we get that we don't even want in the yeah. first place. Bills, coupons. <laughs> yeah, right. You end up on some mailing list. Yeah. yeah. Balloons can be upwards of four years. Candy wrappers, like we've talked about, 20 years. Uh, disposable coffee cups, 30 years. These disposable masks that we just created a mass amount of. This one hits. 450 years. So this impact that we're having on the environment today, where we go, you know, we reduced our carbon input or our carbon output by X amount for yeah. the six months we were shut down. And we go, that was so great. Like we all pat ourselves on the back and we're like, this is awesome. Yeah. For the next 450 years, now we have these masks that are just going to be all over the place. You've got styrofoam cups, containers, things for your to-go. Uh, that's 500 years. And then on top of that, things like plastic bags, cotton swabs, uh, straws, almost a thousand years. Wow. 1,000 years. Now, we were looking at this. Yeah. What and was, I was happening going, a thousand years ago? What was happening a thousand years ago? Because thinking a thousand years from now is kind of mind-blowing, but thinking a thousand years back is still my, we were just entering the the middle ages. middle ages gosh i would want to say the modern ages, but it's not <laughs> it was the middle ages leaning tower of pisa was just being created in the early thousand Jeez. you've got so much wow. advancement we've made in a thousand years now think about if they were able to create these items then that they would still be just decomposing now yeah Insane. And this is where the, the idea that every single piece of styrofoam and almost every single piece of plastic is still around today that was that has ever been created. It's never gone away yet. Yeah. And we'll get, you know, there's a little bit of incineration and stuff, but technically in terms of landfills and recycling, it has not gone away. Yeah. Everything that's been produced yeah. is still there. And if we don't dispose of it in the right way, then literally like the children of our grandchildren would probably still be around to see that piece of trash, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, no, seriously. And one of the things that we had just a couple weeks ago yeah. for our event that we're doing, our virtual events, again, if you're not following us on our social media, <laughs> we had an Instagram post that I was talking about what is the most littered items. And I had the top six items. Yep. Now, in technicalities, all six of them are one-time use. But the worst offender was cigarettes. And mm. I don't know if you can actually walk away from a cigarette as multiple like you can never transition that into a multiple use item no so the other ones candy wrappers plastic straws to-go containers plastic bags yep. and the last one was water bottles 
those five items are the most littered items. Wow. And here we're talking about how they're also things that take a really long time to decompose. So not only are we saying, oh, this is a really big problem if we did it correctly. <laughs> we're doing it incorrectly and it's a big <laughs> problem. <laughs> But what is the impact of those things? I know you got to look into that. Yeah. So going to bring in a couple of studies that have been done as well as a couple of just conservationists, environmentalists that have talked about this. But first of all, studies show that out of the approximate 8.3 billion metric tons of plastic produced since 1950, which is an insane number in itself, only 9% of the plastic has actually been recycled. And 8.3 billion can sound kind of wafty so we're gonna bring in a little bit of perspective which is that's equal to the weight of 25,000 empire state buildings or 1 billion elephants and that's according to the bbc but imagining that 25,000 empire state buildings kind of insane even just a billion elephants is still too many to think about <laughs> it's true like the earth has never even seen a billion elephants no. <laughs> <laughs> nor will it probably so that's Crazy. Oh, sad. Sad. Oh, oh yeah. Whoops. Um, transitioning back, the rest of the... Uh, smooth. Smooth. The rest of the 91% of plastic that are not recycled, of that, 12% is incinerated. 79% goes to landfills, dumps, or honestly into the natural environment, which is a lot of the time our oceans. Mm. Um, and I'll kind of talk more about that, but... A lot of the time, these intact plastic items end up choking wildlife, or it, if it doesn't choke, then they end up in the stomach, and then the animal will feel like it's full, and so then it doesn't eat, and it starves. Little warning, a little bit, this is sad, but like important information to hear. The next is that marine animals like turtles, dolphins, they often mistake this for food. Again, these blockages result in death for the animals, and it's estimated that about 100,000 marine animals, including whales, dolphins, porpoises, seals, sea lions, a lot of just more like macro vertebrates, mm -hmm. mammals that live in the ocean, die each year from plastic pollution, which is a lot, 100,000. And even more than that, nearly 1 million seabirds die from plastic ingestion. Wow. And that's just because it floats. Yeah. And so seabirds will think that's food. They'll fly down, grab it, and then it ends up in their stomachs. Or try to bring it back to the nest and can't cough it back up. Exactly. It's not a yeah. natural. Or even then item. the plastic ends up being used in the nest, which can have other kinds of effects. And so the younglings don't know they're not supposed to eat it. They don't. They that's don't. just shiny. And then you're starting it from where I want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, also, on top of that, we know that there's a lot of plastic in the ocean right now, but. Primarily, there's a single patch of garbage floating in between the states of California and Hawaii, and that contains roughly one trillion pieces of plastic. And that's not the only garbage patch. Not that's the only the garbage patch. Largest that is the largest. Patch. There is one in every major ocean. It's a major problem. It is a major problem for the major oceans. Once this uh, plastic enters the environment, too, it doesn't biodegrade or break down naturally. And if, when it does, it's very, very slowly because in order for that to happen, it's basically sunlight. So instead, even as it, as it breaks down, it doesn't completely break down like a piece of paper would become dirt. Instead, it becomes microplastics. These are becoming a really big issue in the modern era. In essence, as our oceans and natural land are polluted with plastics, we actually end up eating the plastic that we're putting into the environment. We might have another platypus or a controversial conservation about this, but 
The problem with this is that um, BPA, which mm -hmm. we know is in a lot of plastics, now you see it on the side of a label, BPA-free, because yeah. there's been movements to get that out. But it acts as a hormone in the human body, as well as other bodies. It just, it mimics this hormone, and that causes a lot of health impacts. Anything from infertility to, like, epigenetic changes. Not great. And worldwide, other than plastic, because we're talking about single-use items, there's about 500 billion disposable cups that are used every year. And these are just like paper Dixie cups, things like that. Um, like what you used to drink water out of in elementary school, like those little things. And admittingly, I used for my <laughs> teeth brushing until about a month ago. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, see, this is the thing. We all have places we can get better. Yeah. But we... I've never used a red solo cup, so I will take I will take one. I and definitely give the use some of those last weekend. So um yeah, we can all we can all get better in different places. Um, and of these, there's paper cups, and then there's also styrofoam cups, which we talked about is one of the longest lasting materials. Mm -hmm. Twenty five billion styrofoam cups are thrown away every year in the United States alone, which is one of the reasons that we're one of the biggest garbage polluters. Um, and it can't be recycled. It'll last up to five hundred years, and there's no way to reuse it, especially because as a material, it breaks down really quickly yeah. so whereas you can take a plastic cup that's super durable you can't necessarily reuse a styrofoam cup both because it's bad for your health and because it'll break down over time yeah, yeah, yeah as for the plastic in the ocean there's metrics that are saying that it could actually outweigh fish by the year 2050 which is crazy and honestly very hard to estimate because it's biomass estimates of all the fish in the ocean which we um, don't even know how which we don't even know are, yeah. unfortunately but given that even with our limited knowledge, we can speculate that it might outweigh fish. Yeah. That should be a pretty awakening message. Yeah, even if the data was like 100% inaccurate, yeah. like it was it was totally projected wrong. The idea that that could even be a potential, that there is so much that we're producing, I think should be enough yeah. to say, yeah, yeah, okay, we should yeah. pull back a little. Especially something that was only invented 70 years ago, then suddenly outweighs all the fish that are in the, I think that's crazy. Yeah, which we're gonna get into the history. We are, we are. And the plastic waste in the planet's ocean will actually increase by three times within 10 years if we don't do anything. Wow. And that's where uh, the kind of the estimate comes from is that our plastic, use, our plastic use is actually increasing, not decreasing. To combat some of these things, uh, the European Union is just passed a vote in 2019. It's starting a single-use plastic ban, and it needs to be implemented by 2021. And so once 2021 comes around, they're supposed to stop using single-use plastic entirely. Couple months. Yeah, which is very soon, and I have a hard time believing that they're going to match that goal, but if they did, it would be incredible because single-use plastics are definitely one of the most problematic items of single-use items. Mm -hmm. That's why we hear about them so much. It's also uh, the, one of the easier things to try to reduce because at one point it was something different and it's also one of the easier recyclable items so that absolutely. it could actually become something else. And we got all kinds of DIYs you can do with them to upcycle yep. them. Yep. See our Pinterest. See Pinterest. <laughs> <laughs> As for people that are really knowledgeable about this, they're talking about it. The EU Environmental Commissioner, Carmen Uvella, put it in, absolutely put it in a press conference that when we have a situation where one year you can bring your fish home in a plastic bag and the next year you're bringing that bag home in a fish, we have to work hard and work fast. 
It's an interesting concept. When you were saying bring your fish home in a bag, I was thinking like goldfish from the fair. Mm, mm. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, you're talking about like you go down to the fish you're market. the pet store yeah. or the fish market. Goodness. Yeah. Which yeah, as a Seattle, imagine... I don't know why I didn't think fish market first. Fair. <laughs> fair. Yeah. I think Finding Nemo looks a little different if it's the other oh, way around. Geez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's that end Not to come at your childhood, the bag, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then the alternative is, okay, you say, you know what? I'm going to cut out single-use plastics. Mm. Great big step. Yeah. The problem is that the next step is single-use paper products. Mm. And that can involve more deforestation than we're already doing. And that's a carbon sink, yeah. which we need to protect. There are bamboo products out there which could be really useful in the future. But again, those will likely be single-use. But bamboo grows much faster than a tree does. Yeah. Um, so and advancements in hemp and advancements in hemp. We'll talk about some of those solutions. Sweet. Okay. Yep. Okay. I'll shut my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> to wrap up impact, the best environmentally friendly solution is to avoid single use items altogether. And we're going to go over some tips about that, but reusable alternatives such as fabric bags, reusable stainless steel or glass water bottles, coffee cups, and straws. Things get, that can be used over and over again are both a better investment and they're also better for the environment. So would you like to talk about how we're kind of making <laughs> we this transition there. and yeah. the lifestyle that's kind of created this culture? Yes, I will. I will talk a little bit of it. So how I have it listed here is I actually have the transition from the reusable system that we had of, say, the milk bottles to where we are now of... Not that. Not that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and how did that shift happen? And, and where's the history of it? So before I get into it, I actually, I did something before we started this podcast. I, I called my grandma mm. and I said, hey, have you like, you know, could you give me a little insight into what it was like living through this transition? Yeah. And she gave she gave three points that I, I took out of the conversation, mostly because we ended up talking about it, other things anyways. But uh, <laughs> the three things was this, that she doesn't remember it all that well, that it like that it ha it just kind of happened. Mm. You know, it wasn't something that just one day you went boom, boom, and then it's it, it's gone. Uh, it was it was something that gradually was happening. There was a corner store that she would go with her family and they would return the Coca-Cola bottles or the milk bottles or whatever. And then they would be able to get credit for the next ones or mm. so on and so forth. And they would go to that just less and less until they just didn't go anymore. And it's what the big thing is that she said is in the time, most people saw it as just progression. It was just the way the world was going to go. We have talked uh, about how it was supposed to be the savior of the world. Yep. Plastic has, it, that was the, that was the catch line of plastic is you weren't going to have to use ivory and wood. You were going to be able to just produce something that we would, we'd be saving the environment. Yeah. Something to say for another controversial topic, but Absolutely. the idea that that was supposed to be a huge benefit. Well, where the actual shift, and this is such a clever, oh my gosh, the, the cleverest idea I've ever seen from a company uh, and, and, and how they were able to get ahead of the curve of blame. Basically, after World War II, if anyone knows kind of America's ego just shot up after World War II and we started just manufacturing everything. Yep. Uh, it was also a great time economically for being able to, to bring in some new ideas. There was this transition from companies were like, we could actually make more money if we don't have to go pick up the item again. If we don't have to try to refill it, if we don't have to go clean it, sterilize it, go forward with it. You could just throw it away. Yeah. 
they actually started creating ads on how to throw things away. It's mind-blowing to me, right? I was listening to one of these ads. It was basically like, when you are done with your food, make sure to take your cup and your utensils and throw them into the trash, and we will pick them up later on in the week. And I'm like, this is just, like, we take this for granted. It's, yeah. just, it's just what life is, right? Yeah. You just have trash. You were told how to handle trash, what it was like. And then there was this other avenue or other angle that was being thrown into this, which is, hey, look how much time you're going to save. You don't have to clean dishes mm. anymore. You, you won't have to clean up messes. You could just throw it away. So it was supposed to be this like, oh, yeah, it's going to be great for you guys. And as the consumer sees it, there's only benefits. Yeah. Well, what happened is there was Smart. a shift to all of a sudden everything becomes garbage. Mm. Because now, oh, if I don't want it or I don't need it or it's broken or whatever, it's not trying to fix it up, make it better, reuse it in some way. It's just, yeah, we'll get a new one. And so mm. the idea of these milk bottles, glass was a reusable item. Glass now becomes trash. Wow. So now they go, oh, I don't need tra I don't need this glass anymore. So there starts to be this, I don't know if it was a trend or if it was just the fact that we all li we've littered for ever since we've created items, right? Yep. People start throwing glass out their window as they're driving down the road, start shattering. Cattle farmers start going, hey, it's hurting our cattle. And in 1953, Vermont passes a ban on disposable glass bottles because of those complaints from cattle farmers. Power of the dairy industry. Power of the dairy Fighting industry. Fighting the power of the plastics industry. So what happens is, is the packaging industry sees an opportunity. They're like, we can jump on, in on this right now. So they jump in and form this organization called Keep America Beautiful. And if I, good. if I mess this up and I say make America beautiful, I apologize. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in, in election times. mode right yeah. now. So yeah. it's, uh, but Keep America Beautiful is the organization. And when you hear that, you go, oh, that sounds so great these guys just love us false it was <laughs> it was an organ it was an organization that was focused on anti-litter and it was drawn up by companies like coca-cola dixie cup back to our dixie cups uh and yep. all of those types of organizations that wanted to shift away from having to collect their own trash and instead saying hey you know what why don't you take care of that yeah and how dare you how dare you put that on the side of the road that is your fault you should put it in the trash and so all of a sudden there's now this cultural shift going uh i have to deal with this so it was originally companies now people are starting to be blamed for your littering you're causing issues in this organization called keep america beautiful and so the problem wasn't the garbage itself mm. this is what they were preaching was that it wasn't the garbage it was the way that you handled it and it distracted from who was making the garbage. Exactly. Just blinds you, right? So now it's our responsibility to keep things clean. And once Sierra Club and Audubon join in this organization as advisors, it now looks like the environmental movement is behind them. Mm. So now all of a sudden, the people that are saying, yeah, we're creating it, but it's really your fault. And the people that say, yeah, it's actually a real issue out here are joining hands and saying, let's, let's work on this issue together. So now... They start bringing in more ads because the power of TV, right? And it's also, you know, we're talking about the 50s. So TV is the thing. TV is the thing. <laughs> PSAs were a big, big thing. It was, yeah. That you, you got your information from the Public TV. Public service announcements, yeah. yeah. Just in case. Yes, <laughs> These ads were very powerful. The ads that they were doing here are about parks being dirty. 
Hmm. And that it was people that were just taking their like picnic uh, blanket and just flicking all the garbage off, folding it up and walking away. And you're like, hey, how dare you be these kind of people? Yep. And again, it was this depiction of a, you know, middle class white family that was supposed to be the picture perfect icon of the of the era. Right. Yep. And that they'd never do anything wrong or in, intentionally wrong. So. This is just an uneducated person, and you don't want to be like that. How, how dare you? How dare you? So you want to <laughs> you want to be like something else. So this is where the transition of it's still weird. What do we do with garbage? You know, it, it wasn't that there was trash cans on every corner yet. So you're still trying to figure these things out. In 1964, they create this person called Susan Spotless, which I I love the I love the avenues they're going on these things, Sounds and it gets great. better. But this one is this one's this one's great. So it's this little girl. That's just an all white, white dress, white shoes, white little headband, because that's the 60s. Uh, <laughs> and it, just this little girl that's supposed to be completely spotless. And she's correcting her mother or her father, depending on the ad, mm. and saying, Mom, you're not supposed to just throw that on the ground. You need to throw that in the trash can. And there's pictures of her picking up things and so on wow. and so forth. Just this perfect icon. This little girl, like she knows what she's doing. Why can't you figure it out? Yeah. And then she's an icon to the kids at the times, too. Icons to the kids, right? Well, then comes around the late 1960s, you start having rebellion on cultural issues. We don't need to get into that. <laughs> uh, but the idea is that this is one of the things that people just want to throw. They don't want to worry about Susan Spotless. This is also where environmental issues start becoming mm. peaked. Oil spills are coming up, so on and so forth. EPA uh, becomes a thing. EPA, first Earth Day was in 1970. Yep. Early 1970s was huge for the environmental movement because they start catching steam and saying, no, no, we need to fix this. We need to correct that. We need to be able to have this day that we celebrate the earth or, yeah. or acknowledge things that we're going, or that we're doing incorrectly. So in the 1970s, blame is back on the corporations because now they're going, no, 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 this was not our fault. This is your fault. You've just shrouded us. And so now environmental organizations are pulling out of uh, Keep America Beautiful and they're trying to show the people that you were duped. Well, obviously... They're not the ones with all the money yep. as much as these corporations. These corporations come out with a new type of ad. And this is the famous ad called Crying Indian Ad. Now, the first one, because there was multiple, but yep. the first one is this one where a traditional, uh, you know, this buckskin, braided hair uh, is taking his canoe down a river. Just peaceful. He doesn't say a thing through this thing, mm. uh, through the ad. Just peacefully going through. And as he's getting closer to the city, there's just more trash happening in the water. And he gets to the shore and he has to walk through trash until he lands by the road. And then somebody throws some type of fast food, you know, junk at his feet and it splatters across his moccasins. And it pans up to his face and there's a single tear coming down his cheek. And then the voiceover, voiceover person uh, says, people start pollution, but people can stop it. Not corporations, people. People. And the key aspects to this entire ad is they've played it very well. Because in this time, there's starting to be a shift of how people looked at Native Americans. Mm -hmm. It was this idea of Native Americans were now this, as it was coined, peaceful savages. Right? Yeah. And so there's supposed to be these people that were and this culture that was just beautiful and perfect. And they don't get upset and they don't do wrong. and uh, made to each other, but when it came to white man, they really felt bad for us. And so in this moment of having that tear, it brought a 
supposed to bring a shame to the watcher going, wow, he is missing his land, missing what it used to look like. Now, there's obviously so many inaccuracies, <laughs> so Lots many things issues. wrong with it now that we look at it in 2020. But Absolutely. in the time, this was a perfect ad to get people to just feel terrible. Because it makes you feel guilty. It does. It did. And, and when you look at it, you're like, oh my gosh. So then back on the people. Now the people are the problem. And this is where it kind of sits. There was even a second ad and there was multiple, but the second one I think was uh, another powerful one. This guy was named Iron Eyes and there's a whole thing behind that. I would encourage you to go look at it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> links will be in our Facebook group. The second one is him going through different cities as they're starting to clean things up. And it has statistics. It's like Chicago, 63% cleaner. And it's got a, you know, a, a lady picking up trash and throwing it into a trash can. And there's a sweeper going through. And yeah. it's this another beautiful, beautifully made ad. Somebody who is in marketing. It's a beautifully made ad that just gets you to feel going, oh yeah, this is my fault. I should throw my things. In the I need garbage. to do that. Yeah. So this is kind of where it stands up until I would say probably the last 15 years. It's now starting to shift back to, oh, no, 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 this isn't consumer's fault. This is corporation fault. Yep. But there hasn't been a real tangible way of doing anything about it. So this is where I, I have this argument. People say, well, I can't do anything. You know, we talked about 97%, even 65%, depending on what statistic you want to take yep. of uh, how much trash is being made. It's the, the statement of, well, I can't do anything as a consumer, right? What am I going to do? We talked about this before. We've, we mentioned this in our first episode. I, I talked about how CMS as a whole talks on positivity, yep. pointing towards the right things. And I think that is the best way that we can bring corporations mm -hmm. to acknowledging what's happening. I think that it's no surprise to anybody what happened when you had Black Lives Matter sweep through here you know, a little while ago. Uh, and, and that obviously lasted for many months and it will continue. But at the peak and probably in the first couple of weeks at the peak of it all, did you not see every industry, every, every single, company, yep. all of their social media was about what they do right, what they may have done wrong in the past, so on and so forth saying, well, we will, we will change this. We will change that. We will be different. Now, whether or not they actually follow through with this, because I can't keep up with every organization or every company in the world. They made a statement on it because the people started because the people changed what they wanted. Yep. Now I would say that this is the same thing that's going to happen here and it is already happening. You've got people saying, no, 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 I don't want this anymore. And so there's that side, but there's also a side that we're starting to endorse better companies. Yeah. And I've said this many times in across different social media platforms for us, but saying the idea that, Pepsi and Coca-Cola, a well-known rivalry. If one of them was to start doing something one way and the people go, you know what? Did you hear what Pepsi's doing? Like, I love what they're doing. I'm going to go buy some Pepsi. I'm going to go buy Pepsi. This movement that you'd be like, no, no, no. I want to I drink this instead. Hmm. Well, what's Coca-Cola going to do? They're going to be like, well, if our, if our money's going that way, then we must also change this. Yep. Even if they have to pay a little more. And then they do all this advertising. And this happens. Look at, look at the things that have changed. Yeah. You see this with Burger King, McDonald's, and like Wendy's. They're always one-upping each other yep. on like the chicken nugget level, right? They're like, oh, we do this much for this much. We do this many for, you know, $3. Well, we do it for $2. Yep. And it's just always battling. So I think as a society and as individuals, and I know you're going to get into this mm. uh, after the pandemic and then I talk about corporations, but you're going to talk about how each of us can choose where we get things. Exactly. What type of stuff, you know, kind of some of our outlooks that we can take on it. But I would argue that even though 
this history from the 50s until now has been this back and forth corporation people, corporation people. And there's been all these different ads and all these different things. I think we're now to a point where it says, no, 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 no. we're not buying this anymore. Yeah. You've, you have messed up enough. Yep. We know what you're playing. And social change drives the market. I mean, you look yep. at Nike making shoes out of plastic water bottles. Mm-hmm. Tentree became a big organization yep. because of what it does when you buy one of their products. This is becoming something that people are really interested in. And a product becomes more marketable when it's also saving the environment. Yes. With quotes. Um, <laughs> it is so, doing more. It is it is doing less damage to the environment than the product before. Yes. Yeah. And I don't mean to undercut that because that is a good movement in that oh, direction. Yeah. I brought up in a previous episode about how in the Galapagos, Coca-Cola made... <laughs> I know. We had to do it every episode. Cool. This is our Galapagos well, plug for today. There was, a, there was the fight with Coca-Cola because it's such a prevalent product um, mm. in Ecuador and in... Galapagos, there was so many Coca-Cola bottles coming to what is supposed to be pristine island, right? Mm. And so after a fight, they made a deal with Coca-Cola because the people demanded it that the bottles that come onto the island get taken back off the island by Coca-Cola and they're refilled before they're brought back again. Mm. So then now you're bringing back the milk bottle stream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes returning back to how it used to be can be a better way. Yeah, and I think I think these companies could benefit from being able to do that too. I don't know. I obviously I can't talk large scale with how those things, but and again, I was uh, shipping receiving manager at this place, and I got to see a lot of what went in, what went out, and there were many things that I would argue, hey, let's you know upcycle this and use this for other things. And before I came in, there were other things that they did too mm-hmm. because we wanted to save money, and I think that's what most business owners are. Absolutely, they want every dollar they can. So if they can find a way. To reuse it or upcycle it, they're in. As long as they can do it in a way that's, you know, okay for the company, right? Absolutely. We were handling food. You had to make sure it was clean and safe and stuff. But if we could come up with a better idea, he was in. And I think a lot of these places would probably be that same way. Mm-hmm. And Coca-Cola in the Galapagos is a great example of that. It so, is. But what about today? 2020 pandemic. What has been the implications? So as you saw on your walk, the amount of disposable masks that are out right now on the streets in the oceans in the air mm-hmm. is unbelievable yeah and in the context of the pandemic it makes sense because right, right, right. whereas before i see a can on the street as i'm walking right and there's a garbage can relatively close by i'm gonna grab that and i'm gonna put it in the can again we've been conditioned but <laughs> <laughs> but it's good you, but it's good yeah, yeah when you see a mask right now I'm not going to go pick that up because there's a possibility that the person was wearing it had COVID. Or just any sickness. Or just any sickness. And so... Masks are hard. Masks are hard. So on top of everything else, and I'm going to get into some statistics, obviously, but whereas even when there's people around, usually get garbage gets put in the can, Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen with masks. So at Great Washington University Hospital, they've been using more PPE, which is... Personal Protective Equipment. I'm sure we all kind of know that acronym by now. It's all ingrained in our Um, minds forever now. (laughs) Yeah. But so they've been using more than ever to keep employees and patients safe from Mm. highly infectious coronavirus and other diseases. Very important measure. But nearly all the safety equipment employed for this purpose, the N95 masks, the gowns, the gloves, are made of non-recyclable plastic. Mm. And they'll eventually be thrown out where... 
And where they go next is the crucial question for the environment's well-being. And that's part of the problem. And this extends beyond the pandemic in terms of healthcare, it creates a lot of plastic use or plastic waste. And there are ways that we could move forward and make that better, but that's for a different conversation. <laughs> um, within this context, plastic pollution, PPE, packaging for takeout food and water bottles have seen a rise in demand during the COVID-19 pandemic. Some of the people talking about this um, around the world, the French nonprofit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, my roommates are going to be so mad at me. Um, Operation me propre. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm so sorry if, if you heard French. it incorrectly. I'm it's so because sorry. of Mike just didn't pick it up. Yeah, that's, he yeah. got it perfect. <laughs> I nailed it. Obviously. <laughs> Whose activities include regularly picking up litter along the Côte d'Azur began sounding the alarm last month. Anything French, I apologize for my pronunciation. Hey man, I, when I had uh, Jacques Cousteau last last pod, <laughs> true. I, I, uh, I didn't even try. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is becoming an issue, not just in the US where we produce a lot of waste, but obviously it's a pandemic, it's a worldwide issue. It's being seen everywhere. Divers had found what Joffrey Peltier, who um, was working for the French nonprofit, described as COVID waste, dozens of gloves, masks, and bottles mm. of hand sanitizer, which has also become a huge source of plastic waste. Can't think of that. Beneath the waves of the Mediterranean, people have been finding it stuck on corals, mm. which obviously blocks photosynthesis. Huge issue. Not only is it happening here and in France, earlier this year, the Hong Kong-based Oceans Asia began voicing similar concerns after they did a survey of marine debris in the city's uninhabited Soko Islands. Hmm. So we talked about where people are, mm -hmm. but even where people aren't, there turned up dozens of disposable masks. And it's been speculated, again, similar to biomass of fish versus biomass of plastic. Yeah. Our estimates are estimates. They're approximate. But a common phrase that's been put out recently is that soon there will be more masks in the ocean than jellyfish. Obviously, it's really hard to absolutely gauge, yeah. but it's a powerful statement. Yeah. And one that honestly, I hate to believe, but is likely pretty true. This group and others hopes that the images that have been put out will prompt people to embrace reusable masks, which as the pandemic has gone on, I've personally seen a lot more of. People yeah. are using reusable masks Especially because if you keep having to buy disposable yeah. masks, eventually you're gonna fall in a plate. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Switch um, swap latex gloves for more frequent hand washing. That's a big step that uh, some people are doing. And with all the alternatives, plastic isn't the solution to protect us from COVID. That's the message. That is somewhat of a controversial statement at the moment because obviously <laughs> you want to protect yourself from the ongoing pandemic, yeah. but at the same time. Whereas you would be conscious of your environmental impact when this isn't going on, I think that consciousness should still continue on in how you're figuring out how to protect yourself, but in a way that is also not creating tons of waste. Yeah, and I think it's a, one of those things that we've <laughs> I've said it before, I'll say it again. You know, I try not to use reusable plastic water bottles. But sometimes you just have to yeah. because their situation calls for that that item. I think this is the same type of thing. I have seen, I, I literally watched somebody the other day. Uh, I was redoing somebody's deck, um, restaining their deck. And I watched their neighbor come outside, put on a reusable mask mm -hmm. or a one-time use mask 
one-time use gloves to do some gardening mm. and then go back inside. And then I didn't see him for the rest of the day. I think in that moment, I don't know if the gloves were really necessary. You could have used gardening gloves. like. And so there's some levels of, I think we may get a little bit too far ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I know there's some comfort levels. And like you said, we we're now touching controversial ideas yeah, here. Absolutely. It's but it is a level of like, we need to watch. If you want to be safe and you want to be you know, very cautious of, hey, I want to throw this away when I'm done with it. Yeah, I'm behind you on that. If it's in, in, in times that make the sense to do that, when you go to the store, uh, when you're in large gatherings of any type, boom, I'm with you if you want. If that's what makes you comfortable, do it. But if you're in your own yard and you're doing gardening, gardening gloves will be just as much protectiveness yeah. from this surfaces. Absolutely. And you've never thought about your gardening gloves, you know? So I, long story short, I think we could probably all... Yeah. Be a little better. Absolutely. Keep yourself <laughs> safe, but be aware of how you're doing it. Yeah. And that goes with That's all kinds of things. Absolutely. So large scale, I think there are, you know, a lot of recognition. Um, mm. I know we've talked a little bit about home base here. So let's let's talk about U.S. first. So there's a lot of cities that are starting to change things. Uh, two of the big ones that I wanted to, to touch on first is the city of San Francisco. Now it diverts 80% of disposed materials from landfills and incinerators thanks to their Zero Waste by 2020 program, which is pretty sick. That's great. Uh, the state of Vermont, which originally was the enemy earlier in my story, is now coming back and has passed a universal recycling law in 2012, hmm. which will phase in policies and programs until all recyclables, leaf and yard debris, food scraps, and other organics are banned from landfills in 2020. There has been uh, Boston, Massachusetts, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco again, and Seattle uh, have bans on plastic bags, Hmm. um, mostly for grocery store use and are obviously encouraging for you to bring your own. Slightly changed during pandemic, but generally that's what it was. And then in Boulder, Colorado, uh, Montgomery County, uh, New York, Portland, Maine, Portland, uh, and D.C. have also put in plastic bag bans, but also have fees if you would like to buy plastic bags, uh, which I think is an interesting approach. And yeah. we'll see what the difference is because now you've got pretty good big cities on both sides that you can start comparing things. But in terms of other countries, Bangladesh was one of the first ones to ban plastic bags wow. in 2002. Way ahead of the there. curve. Rwanda banned them in uh, 2008. Actually, we're likely behind it. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, well, we've said that about a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, but Rwanda goes a different route, which there's actually jail time and public shaming if you have plastic bags or you uh, like you distribute them, sell them, mm. import them. Kind of crazy. Uh, Cameroon. That's awesome. Whoop, whoop. Uh, <laughs> is uh, banned non-biodegradable plastics across the board in 2014. And I love the story that came out of here, is that one of their soccer players, one of their football players, uh, became a huge advocate for making the bags, uh, plastic bags, into cobblestone and employing the youth in the area. Wow. Which I think is incredible in terms of like seeing that. And so we will also link him and a lot of his stuff in the group because I, I'm not saying that because it's Cameroon and it's close enough to my name, but I, I just thought it was <laughs> a sweet story. Yeah. Antigua and Barbuda, Barbuda, oh my gosh, (laughs) they uh, banned plastic bags in 2016 and then utensils and styrofoam right after uh, with heavy, it was really heavy penalty, like big penalties for importing, selling and distributing those. Those are also islands, so it makes sense. It makes sense. Go back to your Galapagos example. Uh, China moved to ban single plastic, single use plastic in 2017, again across the board. Colombia banned plastic bags 2017. Romania banned plastic bags in 2018. Zimbabwe 
banned styrofoam food containers in 2017 and then bags in 2018. South Korea banned plastic bags in 2019. And then one of the cool things that I wanted to touch back on, you've already talked about the EU ban that they're trying to get to to 2021, but Germany actually now recycles and composts 87% of their discarded materials and they have no active landfills. Wow. That's incredible. That is incredible. So I thought they... Couple, couple ones in there that really blew my mind. Uh, I know that we started this episode a little with Debbie Downer, and now we're bringing it into like these are some really cool things that are happening. It's uh, a global movement. It is, and I and it's it started for a while, so it's not like we're talking just in the last couple of years no. where it's really been picking up steam. But there are places like Bangladesh, two thousand two, Rwanda, two thousand eight, and that Cameroon one uh, that really went full non biodegradable plastics in twenty fourteen. Uh, and some of these places, I will have to be a little more transparent on it. Some of them had to because they were like clogging up their sewer systems that mm. when it floods would then bring in the different flies, mosquitoes, and then you have all these different diseases. So they had other levels of concern. It wasn't just, I want to ban these items uh, as we would probably have just here in the US. Yeah. But I think it does show- Emblematic of the materials we're using though. It to... is, yes, 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 yes. So Yeah, and it shows that it works, that yeah. these countries can still survive and continue on in a whatever you want to call a normal life anymore yeah. <laughs> and and be able to to survive without them and yeah. find new ways to do it so absolutely there's a couple of my large-scale examples but what can we do as consumers yeah so small scale in the u.s definitely makes a difference because whereas other countries are banning these plastics and single-use items single-use disposables we don't necessarily have to do that yet because we ship our waste to other countries, but mm -hmm. that waste can be reduced with small scale change. So first let's talk about in your home, dryer sheets, believe it or not, have plastic in them. And as a result, aren't recyclable, are always waste. So They're also just single use items. Also just single use items. And so instead you can make your own or buy a dryer ball that you can use over and over again. My parents actually have these, they're really funny. They're like these spiky little, um, rubber balls and you just put them in there does the same exact thing as a dryer sheet as in keeping your clothes nice and fluffy when they come out but um and there's one our one of our corporate partners earthhero.com uh which if you use discount code cms10 get 10 percent off your order they have a reusable ball that you're talking about that's made out of wool Oh, beautiful. And it supports, supports local, yeah, better than rubber, but it yeah. also supports local people in, I believe, the Himalayas or somewhere around there. I may be wrong on that one. I was wrong. It's in Nepal. The company is Friend Sheep Wool. They have these beautiful eco dryer balls, a bunch of different types of designs. Check it out. But it is one of those places. They have tons of things on their website. So that I get drowned out on how many there are, but that's one of their products and you have to check it out. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. So... Next item um, that often ends up being single use and is something that we use in our house all the time is one-time coffee pods. Mm. You think of like little a Keurig, like a K-cup, yeah. right? Uh, according to NPR, 60 billion K-cups went into landfills since the rise of its creation. And that number is growing fast because obviously it makes sense. Makes coffee easy. You just throw one of those in there, turn it on, coffee comes out in your cup without you having to do anything. But you can get really nice smooth coffee just from adding hot water over coffee grounds in, uh, you can get a percolator and you just put the coffee grounds in, yeah. pour water over. Not only is it as easy as a K-cup, but it's also faster. 
because you're just pouring hot water in and there you have your coffee. In terms of plastic bags, we talked about this. It's really easy to either make your own or just carry a reusable bag. Keep it yep. in your car, keep it in your purse. Some of them fold up enough that you can even fit them in your pocket. Those are becoming really prevalent. So getting one of those when you need to carry something instead of uh, using a plastic bag. Or if you do use a plastic bag, again, it's a material that was invented in 1907 to be able to use over and over again. So yeah. use it more than once. Next one, I had some tea this morning, but <laughs> the problem with that is that most tea bags <laughs> are made out of plastic particles woven with paper. Mm. And so not only they're not recyclable, but they're also not compostable, which some people, I used to think that they were, but they're not because they don't <laughs> fully break down and it can actually damage your compost because then instead you're introducing plastic chemicals in there um, and anything that you have living in your compost then takes that in and that's not good for them. So buying loose tea wrapped in paper or you can also just get a little metal. Yeah. Uh, I don't drink tea, so I don't know what it's called, but I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. Little, Str it, it's uh, a stress. Oh, we should... I should have known this. Hey, if you drink tea, you know what it's called. You drink tea in this cup. Yeah. <laughs> Basically a little metal a metal clasp that you can put loose tea grounds in and brew your tea. And then when it's done, you put your compostable tea grounds mm. in the compost and rinse it out. A couple of things that you can do while you're home. But obviously we're not always home. We're home right now more. But while you're out, takeout utensils mm. are becoming again less of a thing less restaurants are giving them out or they're asking you if you want them in the first place yeah but why not just carry around your own fork knife and spoon or there's even little kits that you can buy where if the bundle of fork knife and spoon is too big for you these fold down into something that you can easily fit in your pocket so getting most one of them, those bringing them with you there's ones that can fit on keychains yeah most of them are called camping yep. utensils to make it easy to research those. Absolutely. But again, Earth Heroes got those. That's where I bought mine. I have them in my car. Yep. They are good for about six months and then they biodegrade. Wow. I can plant them and they got seeds in them. And then I go get some new ones if I need to. Yeah, Incredible. they're pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. Leave them in the car. That and I have a uh, collapsible straw in the That's car a big at, all, one. at all times. Yeah. Yep. Talking of plastic straws, plastic water bottles. Uh, this is a common one, but obviously just having your own water bottle that you invest in so that you can not have to use a plastic water bottle. Not only is it better, again, for the environment, but it's also better for you because plastic isn't super good for your health. And so water in plastic uh, sometimes soaks up some of the chemicals that are in that plastic water bottle. So having an aluminum uh, drinking water bottle, or if you have to, one that's hard plastic that you can use for a really long time is much better. Mm -hmm. Paper coffee cups. I know in Seattle, we love our coffee. So being able to go to a coffee shop and bring your own cup instead of using their coffee cups and that's going to end up in the trash the second that you finish it, really big step. And the more people that do it, the more common it'll become. And then the less the person behind you will be mad at you for using a reusable cup. <laughs> <laughs> and really, that's our big, that's a... Uh, that's your list. That's my list. Cool. I I, I one note on there that, and I... It, it's a joke that I say a lot with, with my friends and family, but I don't drink tea and I don't drink coffee. Yeah. I don't drink, uh, you know, soda very often and stuff. So it's one of those things that I didn't do it because I had a particular reason to. It just something I didn't want to spend money on, really. 
but I've, I've heard that it's one of the best moves you can make as an environmentalist because mm. it creates so much less waste. Coffee and tea. Coffee, tea, sodas, any of that stuff. Because mm. it either comes in one-time use bottles, one-time use, like you were talking about Keurigs or, uh, you know, tea uh, bags, you know, things like that. Also, when you're going to a restaurant and it's the to-go containers of, of any of that, you can instantly cut out like half of your waste uh, when you're in those restaurants mm. by just saying no to it. And it's also a healthier option. So if you want to think about it that way, and I know I, I'm, I'm a Seattleite and so saying don't drink coffee is like a sin up here, but <laughs> that is, that was my pitch is just say, you know, you could, we could all use a little less. We could, we talked about this with packaging. We could reduce packaging a lot. We were just talking about it earlier, but we were making lunch before we made, uh, before we recorded this podcast is like the amount of packaging we put into stuff. Hmm. And so being cognitive of that, and there's a lot of places you can go now that you don't have to buy things in packaging. You can bring in your own stuff. Look into those places, see if they're around your house. Ultimately, see how much you can cut out. I know it's not gonna make that huge difference that you may be wanting, but I think if we were to really eliminate that 35% of what we do even farther down, absolutely, then we have even more ammo to come back at those companies and be like, yo, we reduced uh, our, our amount, can you reduce now yours? And we won't support this company because they don't, we'll go over here instead and we'll start using our power of the bill that we have. Power of the people. And as we have done in the past, we'll put both companies that have these products as well as tips for how you can be more conscious of using reusable items instead on our Facebook group. We'll have the tips on there. We don't need to put the companies because we have a great tab on our website mm. called the Made Simple tab that has tons of links. I actually was just talking to somebody the other day that's like, I'm looking for a reusable water bottle and I was going through your Made Simple tab to find different places I can get it. Hey. Uh, so I know that you guys are looking at it. It's actually our most popular page on our website. Fun fact for you, fun fact for everybody listening. That, yeah, you can find some of these places I talked about Earth Hero. We've got a partnership with them. We're trying to get more partnerships with other places. If you own one of those places and like to partner, let us know. But yeah, we have a lot of those quick little changes that you can make are all in there as well. There are some tea. Uh, I know there's I know there's a couple sites in there that have tea that are more eco-conscious. So yep. Yep. There's some people that. need their caffeine. I know I do. So not not degrading. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening to this episode of the Conservation Made Simple podcast. Hopefully we taught you some new ways to have reusable items in your life and that you learn something more about why we have the throwaway culture of today that we do. Yeah, thanks for joining, guys, and we will see you on the next episode of Conservation Mason Podcast. <laughs>